Welcome to another episode of the Her Story Speaks podcast. I'm your host, Andrea. When Breonna Taylor was killed, her police report was virtually blank. Feeling as if she was suffocating in the initial silence and lack of public outcry, anti-racism educator and activist Faith Brooks wondered, would the world care about me and remember me if I was killed? My guest today is Faith Brooks, and in her new book, Remember Me Now, she grapples with the answer to that question. In our conversation, Faith shares her own journey as a first-generation suburbs kid who becomes an activist and organizer who had to learn to celebrate and love herself fully as a Black woman in a world determined to silence her. Faith is honest and transparent as she shares her experiences as a Black woman, especially in Christian spaces, that so often did not leave space to care for her Blackness, but rather kept her painfully silent for so much of her journey. Faith's story of healing and self-love is incredibly needed in all of our lives. Faith's story of healing and self-love is incredibly needed in all of our lives, but she especially shares it for black women. Her book and story are truly a love letter celebrating and caring for the fullness of living as a black woman. Listen in on our conversation. I'm so glad to see you and to share this space with you today, Faith. Thank you so much. I'm looking forward to this. I'm really excited. I know we've talked about this like a little while ago, so it's been like a long time coming. It has. And then I had to reschedule and I, I was thinking that this morning and I just finished up your book this morning. I was like having recording on Valentine's day. I love the symbolism of that because your book is so much a love letter to yourself, to other black women. I mean, to me, it was all about finding that self-love and your journey of self-love with your body and mind and soul and all of that. So, well, I usually, I like have a little pre-chat, but I think we'll just dig in and get started unless you have questions for me, Faith. No, no, I'm good. Let's just get started. Yeah. You were just on Good Morning America. So I'm like, there's nothing that I could say or do that could possibly shake her. (laughs) Well, Faith Faith Brooks, welcome to the Her Story Speaks podcast. Thank you for having me. And like I just mentioned, we are going to talk about your story and your book, but they're kind of one in the same. Your book that just released last month is called Remember Me Now, A Journey Back to Myself and a Love Letter to Black Women. So congratulations for that, for birthing that. That's a whole, a whole process in itself to birth that to the world. It is. It's it's such a long process. And I feel like you sit so you sit with the book for quite a while before it actually comes out. And so, yeah, it's been, it's been cool though. I've heard other stories about that and it all sounds really daunting. So I just admire anyone that actually can go through that and birth it. And how are you feeling like a month in? You're not quite a month in, but like it's birth to the world. You're getting all the feedback and love. And is your system kind of like calming and able to like soak it all in? I think it's beginning to get to that place of calm. I definitely think that it's, it's also felt like a lot of pressure to, you know, just get the word out there and, you know, share with people and, um, all of that stuff. And so I find though, that now that I'm reaching like almost that month since the book was released, I'm, I'm able to kind of start like decompressing a little bit, um, letting go of some of that nervous energy. So I'm, I'm really happy about that. And it's been a really beautiful time. I can only imagine. And I'm excited just to share more about your book with, with my audience. But before we do dive into the book, I want to just focus a couple quick and easy questions. Tell my audience where you are in the world, who you live with 
with, what your day-to-day life looks like, just that sort of basic stuff. So I live in Maryland with my husband and dog. Um, I have a little puppy named Kobe. He's really not that little, but you know, he's, he's one, he's a, um, standard golden doodle and he keeps us busy. We really love him. So, um, they're the, you know, the two men, if you will, around my home. And, um, uh, we have a lot of fun together. My husband and I love watching, um, cooking shows. So it's just like one of our favorite hobbies. We always love finding a good cooking show to watch. So, so yeah, they're a big part of my life. I podcast with my friend and usually find myself helping or working with different nonprofits, trying to solve systemic issues that go on. And so I'm a social worker and I got my bachelor's and master's in social work. And so finding ways to be grounded in community and help communities has always been really important to me. So on my day-to-day, I'm doing all kinds of different things like that and Mm -hmm. cooking because that's one of my favorite hobbies. (laughs) I love that. And you're kind of a newly, uh, newlywed, right? How how long have you been married? We've been married almost 14 months now. So, okay. So it's a little longer than a year. Is that still new? Uh, Yeah. You're still a newlywed. I've been married 24. Yeah. I asked people, I said, when do you stop saying that you're a newlywed, but this still feels very new to me. So Mm -hmm. I, I feel like I'm going to be saying this for another year, at least. <laughs> I think, like, like I said, I've been married 24 years. So you are so much of a newlywed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thanks for that. Yeah. Well, I, I will be saying that for still quite a while. Absolutely. Well, before we dive into your book, I do want to just talk, and you do talk about this in your book, but I always ask my guests just to start with sharing a little bit of their origin story. Cause I think so much of that like determines our path, directs our path, really drives our passion. So, and you can go as far back as you want with that, but you are a black woman living in the United States. And I know your origin story is really a powerful part of where you are today. So feel free to start or do with that what you want. Yeah. So I am one of two children that my parents had. I have an older brother and we were born in Chicago and we moved to Texas when I was around six years old. Chicago is where all of my family is. So both of both sides of my parents' family is there. So it's definitely like the hub of our family and community in terms of just our people. Our grandparents are there, cousins, like everybody's there. There's a few of us that are spread out, but for the most part, that's like home base. So my parents branched out, left home base, moved to Texas, and our lives kind of shifted there. And I would like to say, you know, I think that they shifted in a great way. I mean, we obviously wouldn't, the trajectory of our life would probably look a lot different had they stayed in Chicago, but they took the leap and branched out. And they also felt like it was really important to homeschool us. And so that was another thing that was really kind of like off the beaten path for the family. Um, They definitely were looking at my parents, like your kids are going to turn out weird because you're going to homeschool them. And people don't do that, especially it wasn't very popular in the black community. So anyways, they decided to homeschool us and stay the course with that my brother was um, in school through second grade and then they homeschooled him. I was in school, homeschooled the whole time with like short spurts of going to school. And so anyways, we grew up in a really great close-knit family, had a really great childhood. I loved my childhood. And in my book, I talk about being first-generation suburbs because my parents didn't necessarily grow up in the suburbs. And so we were kind of like 
that first generation from, you know, from them to us doing it and, you know, experiencing, um, a lot of different aspects of being, you know, one of the few black people or some of the only black, you know, kids in different spaces. And so I think that definitely impacted and influenced, you know, my upbringing and also like my view of the world and my view of myself. And so, I um, talk a lot about, you know, my identity and, and trying to figure out where I fit growing up and what that looked like. But I think, you know, along with trying to figure out those things, something that was really important to our family and growing up was really being involved in your community and, you know, wanting to be a part of helping people in the community. So I grew up you know, with parents that were like, we're going to go, um, serve like in a soup kitchen or be a part of some outreach for the unhoused before you have your Thanksgiving dinner. Like you're going to, you know, know why it's important to care about, you know, other people and to, you know, also be, um, grateful for what you have. And I think that they're, um, just those small things that they did really helped to shape me and my heart and passion for justice and also wanting to be the kind of person that um, didn't really like overlook the plight of my neighbor. So, so yeah, those, those are some really like important and shaping moments for me. And, um, and I grew up in a, um, you know, a home that was really big on faith. And that was just a, you know, big part of my parents' um, life and a part of our upbringing. And I also chronicle through the book, my own um, journey of faith and how, you know, I've had to find my own um, ground that I feel like is sacred. And I mean, you definitely um, for have, me. because what you're saying all this and a little bit about your faith journey you grew up in very white evangelical Christian conservative spaces. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So finding your own faith and your own activist voice, especially as a black woman, that is, is a journey all in itself. I mean, I oh, yeah. left those spaces. That's part of my story, but I'm a white woman. So I fit a lot better into, into that. So the intersectionality of you being a black woman coming out of those spaces and having to heal, because I feel like when I read your book, I'm like so much, I think of that internalized body shame, like all of that, I think mm-hmm. came from those spaces, uh, purity culture, all of that. So you oh, yeah. had to fight tooth and nail to get out of those spaces and redefine your faith and your voice in your own terms. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of, um, letting go of shedding, reprogramming your, Mm -hmm. you know, your brain, if you will, like just really, um, rewiring my, you know, um, the way I think about things, the way I see myself. Um, yeah, there was so much that I had to, I had to untangle and it took time, you know, I, and I think that sometimes, people assume that it doesn't, you know, it's going to be this really quick fix. You're going to snap your fingers and it's like, yeah, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm done with that or I'm fine. I'm over it. I mean, I think everything takes time. And so my journey and process and um, journey with my faith has been such a time of like evolving. It wasn't something that just happened at the, at the snap of a finger. It was really gradual for me. Um, since I graduated college. So I really think that, um, it's really important just to kind of take that time to, yeah, just to give yourself time, give yourself room to kind of find your way. Was there 
one thing or incident in particular in those spaces that really opened your eyes or was a, a culmination of things? Because I know you share about Rwanda and going to a Christian college, like you share a lot of little things. So I'm curious, is it not little things? Those are big things, but you share several things. I'm wondering, was there like a moment that you're like, this is such a toxic space and I've got to find my way out of it into truth and what I believe and who I am? I think it was just several different things. I think it was different things, different moments, you know, all these different events that just kind of, um, each one made me ask questions and each one made me want to find like a place where I felt grounded, where I felt safe and, and all of that took time, but I kept asking questions after things would continue to happen. So (laughs) the more, the more things that happened, the more I was like, okay, I have some, I have some more questions to ask. I have some more, you know, deciding to do about, you know, what spaces I choose to be in or not. Um, and you know, how I feel about that. And also one thing that I, you know, how to learn was, you know what, I can, I can stand on my own two feet about how I feel and about what I believe. And there might be people that, you know, I'm around or friends that have different thoughts. They have different beliefs. They have different approaches and, um, I can hold space for, for them while also saying, Hey, you know what, this is where I am at. And I think that took a lot of strength for me because, um, you know, when you're a black woman, especially in, um, you're bringing yourself out of these conservative spaces, it's really, really important, um, to find your voice and to be able to speak up for yourself and advocate for yourself. I met and know a lot of wonderful and completely sweet people, and we still have very different approaches to life. And I have learned that, you know what, that's okay. And I'm, I'm perfectly content being, um, who I'm supposed to be and showing up in the world, how I feel like I should. And, and I think that, um, that's a a place of, of strength and a place of, um, peace that I I've really come to over the years. It just really struck me also, just also the different, I mean, yes, as women, we share similar journeys coming out of that patriarchal white supremacist space, but you as a black woman have so many added layers to, to break through and sort through. I mean, one of the things you even share growing up, you thought that was like such a compliment when people would say you're a white black girl. Talk a little bit about that and like what, what that implied and why in your life at that time you were like, oh yeah, that's a compliment. I'll take that. I think, you know, when you're young and you want to fit in with your friends, you want to find, um, you want to find your space, your place in life. It's, it's easy to just accept what people are saying because you're like, okay, well, you know, I want to fit in. And the truth was, even though there was so many things that I didn't have, like, like all the language for when it came to talking about um, race and racial dynamics, because I was young, there um, were some things that I did really clearly understand. And one is that there was a distinct difference in the way that people viewed me as a black girl from the suburbs than they would a black girl that was from the hood that they might've thought talked ghetto or had this different demeanor or, um, 
looked like or mirrored in behavior people they might've seen on TV. I wasn't behaving in a way that was like stereotypically assigned to me to be or to show up as, as a black girl. And people noticed that difference and said, Hey, you're, you're like one of us. Basically, literally the only difference is you have like, you know, brown skin, like that's it. Otherwise you're like us. And I want it to be accepted. And so I was like, yeah, okay. Because it meant that I was belonging. I had a place to belong. And when you already know you're out of place and or have felt like you're out of place, um, you want to find some sense of community. And so um, I was finding my way to belong. And I had to realize that who I am and how I show up as a black woman, there's no, there's no right way to show up. There's, I can just be myself. My friend Amina says, you can't tell a black girl how to black girl. And, um, I love that because it's true. We all show up uniquely. We're not a monolith. And, um, but I didn't know that at the time, you know, I didn't know in my head, you know, we're not a monolith. I just felt like, I, I need to fit in. I need to make sure, you know, I'm finding my little space, but I, I was proud of also being a black girl, you know? So it's, it was a really hard time. I would say like socially and developmentally, because you're trying to sort out so much when you're young. Yeah. And that internal struggle within, like you said, trying to be a black girl and what that means, but also wanting to be accepted. And you just point out so well, again, in your book, like the assimilation, I think you even say that I didn't know at the time that assimilation was poisoned. Uh, was poison. I mean, and it's like, we think of that with, you know, immigrants and how we try to assimilate, but it's like you as a black, a black girl living down in Texas, we're also being assimilated and trying to like deal with that wanting to fit in and also wanting to be your full self. Um, and I, I would say being in white conservative church faces probably made that even harder. Oh yeah, for sure. So you say in your book, I spent my twenties trying to change the world, then trying to unravel the high expectations of changing the world. And I needed to learn to save myself. So you really did find a career in, in activism. Like you said, you were trying to change the world and you went to school, got your master's in social work. You were involved, involved in foster care, which I really, that chapter spoke to me being a former white foster mom mm-hmm. and in, in Christian conservative spaces. I'll, I'll leave that for readers, but I was like, wow, she's just putting that out there. Yeah. I could go off on a whole road about that. I'm going to try to stay focused, but thank you for that. I think you really spoke a lot of truth in that chapter about the foster care system and all these white conservative families. Um, so you spent your twenties trying to change the world. And then you just realize you are just giving of yourself to everybody else, depleting yourself, not loving yourself. And again, I think that's so much what church faces Christian conservative does pour out to others, put yourself last. I mean, you were doing everything that you knew, but then you met, you met the point of really exhaustion in your life and some traumatic life events happen. So share what you want to with that. I know your book does go in to details of some real trauma, especially sexual that you experienced. So I'm going to let you share what you want with kind of that breaking point in your life of pouring, pouring out to everybody else. Yeah, I think that, you know, for me, I I really realized that I had a few options um in my life if I um so I could decide how I how I wanted to live for the rest of my life. I had to make a choice. I had to say, hey, 
do I want to show up, um, as I have been like working on overdrive, um, constantly working. I worked so much. I told, I've told myself I will never work that much again. Um, but constantly working and, um, helping to meet the needs of other people, kind of putting my needs last and just trying to really press forward in that manner. I had to ask myself, is that the life that I want to live? Not only that, I had to ask myself personally in my personal life, what did I want my own journey of healing to look like? I really had to process my own sexual assault and I hadn't done that. And so I think that it was really, really important to me to ask myself these really hard questions about the direction of my life and where I wanted it to go. And ultimately I decided that I had a short window of time and opportunity to slow down and to sit with myself, to sit with my pain and to find my way to heal. Because, you know, we can spin our wheels. We can spend a lot of time trying to do any and everything, but the few things that we need to do for ourselves. And so I knew that, you know what, I could spend a lot of time trying to do this or do that, go here, go there. And, um, and I said, you know what, that's not what I need to do. What I need to do is sit down, evaluate my life and allow myself time and space to heal. That's what I need more than anything. And I spent all my time for a short period, a few months, I spent all my time really sitting with my pain, sitting with myself and, you know, moved in with my brother and his family and just really gave myself room to start over. And it's such a privilege to even be able to do that and to have supportive family. And I'm really grateful that I had that space and the opportunity, but it really did help to change the trajectory of my life and also to define how do I want to show up in this world? And, and that was a really big thing for me. So I, I changed a lot of things in my life so I could be a more free and whole version of myself today. And your book starts out talking about this book is birth from my story. One that includes pain, but pain doesn't have the last word. And it's like, it, when you get to the part talking about your mental health journey and getting over the, not getting over about the sexual assault, like that is some of the, to me, the worst and deepest pain of your, of your story, like almost your lowest point. And I hate that it took that. I, ha I hate that it takes that as for so many women, especially black women to reach this low, low before you're finally like, okay, no, I'm, I've got to be resolute in putting, putting myself first. Mm -hmm. Do you, would you mind sharing a little bit? Because I, some of it's battled with mental illness. My own daughter has just sharing a little bit about your mental health journey. Cause I know you talk about in the book, the depression, the panic attacks, all of that. So that is definitely your body, your system, like screaming at you, like you need to listen to me. So as much or little as you want to share to that, but I think it's really helpful for people, especially in the midst of it, to hear other people that have, have been there are still there and finding their way out. Yeah. I think that, you know, for me, I, I had different, I write about in the book about different spaces and time where I was really sad um, where I was depressed and um, I was trying to make sense, if you will, of, of what was going on in my life at the time. And so one of those moments for me was when I lived in Austin and um, it was a beautiful time in so many different ways, the people I met socially, and there's a lot of good things, but there was also some really, you know, low lows in the terms of I, 
I felt like that phase of my life, it was just kind of like a constant stream of rejection, not fitting in. It was constant. I felt like I could not escape it. And it was hard, you know, and it was a lot of it was in the workplace and work environments. And that was my first time having a work environment that was very, very unhealthy. And when you have to spend so much time working and so much time at work with, with, um, people that aren't healthy, it's really difficult and it does take a toll on your mental health. And so, um, I really had to learn how to come out of that. And that was actually the beginning of me finding a therapist and beginning to work through those traumas and those hard places. And so, I still have the same therapist to this day who is, you know, just amazing. And I absolutely love her. And she's been really awesome in um, helping me along the way in my journey. And um, I also have a really supportive family. So I, I write about this in the book, but, you know, you don't heal by yourself. I truly believe that you heal in community. And so for me, a real big key component to my journey and, you know, the improvement of my own mental health has been, um, the strong community that I have around me and the people who support me and love me and have created space for me. And a lot of, um, the PTSD that I, um, know what kind of, you know, hit my nervous system in my body. Um, after the assault, a lot of that has really lessened over the years, um, which I'm really grateful for, but you know, like anything healing takes time. It takes time for your body to recalibrate. It takes time for your mind and, you know, your soul to, you know, realign and all of those things. And, I just gave myself time and space. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, you know, one of the best things that I could have done if I was hurting or in pain, I did my best to let it out. And that's just something I'm learning just in general, if I'm upset about something or I find myself feeling frustrated or offended, I try to let those feelings out quickly because if we don't, then they're going to stay within our body. So whether that's me journaling it out crying it out, screaming in a pillow, whatever it is. Like I really try to get that agitation, um, out of my body because I am the kind of person that tends to hold stress in their body. Um, my shoulders and back can get really tense. And so it's just really important to me, um, to continuously learn different techniques to relieve myself of any of that, like stress and anxiousness that I might feel. And as your body is, was going through some of those hardest moments of the workplace stress, the sexual assault. Meanwhile, you talk about this in your book, and that's why I want to talk about like the book title and the birthing of the book, what's going on in the world, in the United States, the, the, the deaths, the racialized trauma, the deaths of black men and women at the hands of police, your body as a black woman is taking all of that into, and that's, that's living in your body. And I know you talk about that in the book, how 2020 was just the worst for so many reasons. Mm. And then Breonna Taylor's death and how that impacted you. So share a little bit about that and how that also influenced your book, book title. Yeah, I think that, you know, when I saw what happened to Breonna Taylor, I saw the, you know, the police report list her injuries as none. It really, um, it struck me and it, you know, Brianna wasn't much older than me. We were around the same age. And, um, I just thought, 
is this, you know, what people think about black women? Do they kind of view us all as like this disposable that our injuries aren't even worth listing on the police report? You know, they, they didn't even bother to talk about how her body was riddled with bullets, how she was killed. And it really, really struck me. And I thought about how we saw Brianna, and this is really for any person typically who Um, Not any, but some people whose cases have become famous and um, they were killed unjustly by the by police. You see their pictures everywhere. You see murals of them. And I saw that happening with Brianna, even though we had learned about her story months and months later, which lends to another, you know, point of like, why are we just now hearing about this? But we, it didn't get national attention until months later after things had already happened and And then there's illustrations of her on magazine covers and her pictures everywhere. And we're all saying, you know, say her name. Mm -hmm. And I thought, wow, but what would it be like if we really cared about Black women right now and not just when they're gone? What would that look like? And then I just started processing and I was like, you know what? I, I think people need to remember us now while we're living and not just when we're gone. I believe that Black women deserve their flowers now. And so that really inspired the title of the book for me. And I just really wanted to convey through a book, through notes and letters, the beauty, like the beauty and brilliance of Black women. And and far too long, we have silenced ourselves. We have minimized ourselves. We have... We haven't even given ourselves the opportunity to like share our full story. And I really wanted to hold space for that in writing this book. And I wanted to call it, bring it to the forefront. I wanted to tell people why it's important to remember us now. Yeah. And you, you do a beautiful job with that faith and it's just your own story too. And tying that in, what do you want people to remember most about you right now? So when you say that, like, remember me now, what if you had to say, here's what I want people to not remember me when I'm gone and moved on, but here's what I want right now, how I want people to remember me as a black woman right now. Here's what that looks like. That's a really great question. Nobody's ever asked me this. And, um, and I didn't I like- give, I don't give questions in advance. I don't even write them down. I write some notes. So I'm, this is, this <laughs> has no prep work here. Okay. So um. <laughs> you need to take some, take some time or whatever. <laughs> That's a really good question. I, um, I think how I feel right now is I hope that people can, remember me as a person that believes in the beauty and brilliance of black women and champions that, that I'm their biggest cheerleader. And my grandmother read the book and she messaged me and said, I just want you to know that like, this is a brilliant book and there's so much that I can relate to and what you've written. Like, thank you for doing this. Mm -hmm. There's so much that I haven't even said about my own experience and you have like beautifully put it, it to words. I mean, just her saying that to me alone, it just makes me tear up because it means so much to me. And what I really wanted more than anything was for black women to not feel alone 
and to feel like we have a voice and agency to share our stories. And I wanted everyone, my friends, people I don't know, I just wanted everybody to read the book because as Black women, people feel like, oh, I don't know if I can read or understand anything from their story that I could ever relate to. But we are in a world where we have to read everyone's stories. We have to learn about everyone. And people aren't usually as eager to learn about us. And so I wanted to write and to call to people's attention that our stories are worth reading. That's right. They are, you know, and, and there's so much people can learn from them. And so I hope that people read, engage, and want to learn because if my grandmother can read the book and she's much older than me and can get something from it, then I think anyone can. And that's the beautiful part about sharing our stories. We learn from each other. I agree wholeheartedly. And I think too, how the role that that, or how that affects shame, because I'm sure your grandma read that and was like, oh my God, she said it. Like that was probably freeing for her and released a level of shame of perhaps things that were not talked about in the family. Cause you share the secrets we keep shape us, shape us mm-hmm. and how you talk about how shame played out in your family that in all of our families, it does and right. yours as well. So sharing our stories, even the hard parts of them just releases that shame for those around us. Yeah, absolutely. So going back to that, do you, and you said that's like I said, the secrets that we keep shape us how has that played out in your story? I mean, I know I guess I read the book, but do you still feel like that has played out or do you feel like that has been released because you have spoken? Yeah, I think that, you know, a lot of things have been released. I mean, in my, you know, personal immediate family, um, I, I think that we together as a family work through so many different things, you know, um, but I definitely don't think that the secrets are shaping us. I don't think that, um, I think we really are trying to, and continue to work towards writing a new narrative, if that makes any sense. Um, and my goal is to, um, you know, when I have children one day, write And even, you know, different, stronger narrative around, um, you know, speaking the truth over ourselves and our, and our lives and, you know, not allowing those secrets to, um, dictate us and to dictate our lives. And I, you know, I think that my, my family, my grandparents, their parents, I think they all did the best that they could. And I think we are continuously learning new ways to function, new ways to heal, new ways to be. And I think that's how it should be. I think we should get better with every generation. Absolutely. Cause we are, and we're healing those generations that come when we work on healing ourselves. Within your own story, when I talk about, or when I were on the subject of keeping secrets and shame, I mean, I thought that was most pronounced with you when you had the, um, were you the victim of rape, sexual assault? Like you, you kept that in, you did not report it. That was a long struggle for you to finally, to get there, to tell, to tell the doctor. And one of the things that struck me, and I thought this is again, how black women's stories are silenced, how systemic racism plays out. When you talked about like, I didn't want to report my attacker because he was a black man and I know the police system and I know the struggle for with, with black families. And that just hit me like that is another layer for black women to want to be silent and not tell and what you had to carry because of that. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, we have a complex system, um, that we have when it comes to, um, you know, dealing with race and racism and, you know, things have not changed very much. So you're very, very conscientious of these things. And even, you know, I wrote about in the book talking about, you know, what happened with Meg the Stallion and, um, even still the responses to her, the responses to women, uh, they can be really brutal. They can be pretty tough to navigate. And, um, and that is a big factor as well. So it's, it's definitely a hard spot. And, and I know that for black women, it's just something we continuously have had to navigate. What would you say? Cause I, knowing the statistics of rape, sexual assault victims, other women that might be carrying that story within them, especially black women, but any woman that is carrying that. Cause it's so often women don't report or share because of the shame. So what would you say to another woman carrying that right now? I think the best thing that you could do um, each and every day is to forgive yourself. If you feel like you're holding yourself, you know, um, hostage to your, to your own pain. Um, And if you find yourself blaming yourself, any of those kind of feelings, the best thing you could do each day is just choose to say, you know what, it's not my fault. It wasn't my fault. And, um, continuously find peace in that way. It's really not something, um, that happens at the snap of a finger. And so I think even relieving, um, ourselves of that expectation is really helpful and healthy too, because healing does take time. And I think that it's really important for us all to remember that on this journey. Yeah, that's exactly right. And it's also not the same journey for everyone. Every victim of sexual assault or rape or trauma, you do not have to do X, Y, Z because Faith did or I did. It is a different journey for all of us to get to healing. But I think the biggest part of that healing is realizing you, you matter and and your, your story and putting yourself first is okay. Cause I think again, we're given that message so opposite, especially in church spaces and patriarchy that actually just quiet your voice, put yourself last, put everybody else first. So that I think you've got to hold on to and believe. So speaking of the journey, you say to this day, I'm still on the journey to reclaiming my body. I would love to dive into a little bit of that statement and what it means to you to reclaim your body and then what you're doing now as you continue on that journey. Yeah. I think for me, reclaiming my body is truly a self-love journey, a self-love journey with my body and being able to feel connected to myself in the most healthy way. And also we live in a very unrealistic uh, world when it comes to beauty and beauty standards. And so how I have experienced through, you know, media and all these things is the more, the most beautiful, you know, you can be is when you're the smallest and the smaller you are, the more beautiful you are. And that was a struggle for me because I really began to struggle with my, my weight and my twenties uh, and upward. And so I had to really find a, a place and a way for it to be healthy for me. And so right now, how I have been you know, celebrating myself and celebrating my body is what can I do to move my body today? That's going to make me really happy because 
when I move my body, it also helps me relieve stress. And because I know that I tend to be the kind of person that carries stress with me, um, I've learned how important it is for me to move my body, sweat a little, so the stress can get out of me and off of me. (laughs) Um, in the sense of like, you know, you know, you feel like so emotionally bogged down. It just feels like you're just almost, you know, consumed with it. I've learned that the most beautiful thing that I can do for my body is to do my best to find ways to relieve myself of that stress. Like I said before, the biggest thing I, I have been focusing on is making sure that the stress is not living within me, that I'm not carrying that burden burden with me day in and day out. And so it takes a lot of intentionality and it's still a journey for me. Um, but it's really something that I've been focused on because I can be the best version of myself and growing in this way. When I say, you know what, I'm going to make myself the priority. What do I need today? What does my body need today? Whether that's more water, whether that's more sleep or, you know, what does it look like? Just really staying in tune and in touch with myself has been one of the biggest ways, Mm -hmm. um, I have been choosing to reclaim my body. That's beautiful. Do you find it still a daily struggle or are you in that space of like, absolutely? No, I put my, I put faith first and I just know that's what I do. And that's easy now. Or is it still a struggle? I think it looks different for me each day in the ways that I choose to like put myself first. There are some days that I don't move my body that day. There are some days that I do really good. Some weeks I do really good and some that I don't do as good. Um, but I will say in general, one thing I do have down packed is if I feel like I need to sit down, take a break or rest, I've, I've learned that that's just has to be the top of my list. Mm-hmm. And I don't miss those moments. I have done a lot better at catching myself. And so I might not get all of it straight in one day, but at least making space to sit. That's like one of my, I've, I've mastered making myself sit down. (laughs) I count that as a win. Um, I know we just have a few more minutes left, but I would love to head on a topic because you're, this episode will follow up the series in February on black motherhood that I did a re-release of last year. So couple topics on the, on motherhood. I know one of the things you say is God, God mothered you when the church hurt you. I'd love to just talk about a little bit, cause that's been part of your healing journey too, is seeing God as a mother, as a woman. And that's also been part of, of my journey. So how does God mother you? How has she continued to, how has like envisioning God as a m- woman mothering you helped you heal? I think that, you know, one thing I, I, I talk about in, in the book and in that chapter is my mom and, and her faith that has been just so inspiring to me. And, you know, my mom is also like my friend. We're really close. So, you know, um, I mean, she's just my confidant. We're, we're extremely close. I talked to her multiple times a day Mm -hmm. and, um, during the hardest parts of my life, I felt like I just experienced the most tender and loving form of the divine, just the most tender, the gentlest, the most peaceful. And it really, really reminded me of my mom. It really reminded me of such gentle love and care. And oftentimes, you know, growing up in faith spaces, we we talk about God from this um, anger and, you know, but very, you know, paternalistic and 
just this, just not an embodiment of peace and love. Um, we see some language that gets a little bit softer, you know, in the new Testament with how Jesus, you know, was approaching things, but truth be told, I mean, the, a lot of the language was sometimes punitive and, and, and it just was not something that I could correlate in my brain at the time with what I felt like I was experiencing with God, which was so tender. Right. And I think that tenderness, the tenderness of God has been one of the most powerful and special healing balms for me personally, the gentleness and in the space to just feel safe. And that has been transformative for me because I continue to feel like that's the, that's the best and most sweet part of the divine that I, I I've experienced and continue to experience. And so I'm really grateful for that. And I'm grateful to have a mom that also embodies those things. And so I, I, I did feel like I had someone in my life that tangibly embodied this love that I felt from God. And I had that person with me and to hold me. And so I'm really, really grateful that I have my mom in my life because Mm. all the ups and downs and tears and everything, she's been there with me. And I just, yeah, I could just feel the love of God flowing through her for me. And it was so pure and so tender and healing for me. That's beautiful faith. And I, and I don't know how people can fully heal, especially coming out of toxic theology. If you continue to only look at the masculine side of God and not that feminine side, that's caring, nurturing, slow down, loving all of those things. So I just love how you articulated that so beautifully. The other mothering question is, you talked about your own personal, your own mom, how much she has like been there for you, shaped your life is there day to day. I'm curious if there's any, and again, Faith did not get these questions. These are, this is going along because she's following up on the, on the podcast series uh, that we, that we just wrapped up, but women in black history, black women that mothered you, what not, not because you, they sat in your living room every morning, but from afar because of their works or their words or their activism um, that really inspired you in your journey. I think that there's so many different women in in history that have inspired me, but I have to say somebody that has inspired my life so much was my godmother. And, you know, my mom was was smart, you know, she had a village. So her friends, her close friends, they also mothered us. And there's so many women in history I could pick out, but the truth is, is that some of the most special women that you're not going to see on headlines and you might not read about or pick up on Google have helped to shape so many of us um, in their own ways. They have access to us in our lives. And, Mm -hmm. and so, you know, my godmother, um, we lived in Chicago most of my childhood from six on up. And um, so she was in Chicago. So I didn't really get to see her as often, But as I got older, I began to call her a lot more, ask her for life Mm -hmm. advice, cry on the phone to her, tell her what was going on in life. And she also was just such a shoulder for me to cry on. She was inspiring. Mm -hmm. She taught me about, you know, womanhood. She talked to me about when you become a wife one day, she just taught me about life. She taught me about womanhood and being proud about who I am and how I show up in the world. And 
we we lost her. She passed away a few years ago to cancer and still to this day is one of the most devastating losses I've ever experienced in my life because she showed up in such a big way in my life and inspired me and showed me what it looked like to love well and to mother. She had four kids and she also homeschooled her kids like my mom did. And they were kind of on the fringes, like doing their own thing when other people were looking at them like, what are you doing? And, and she was just a woman of faith and prayer. And she saw me and she got me. And I, I remember always feeling so young and misunderstood sometimes, but she understood me and her life has inspired me, her boldness, the way she loved her community, all the kids on her block coming to her house. It was a safe haven. And it just reminds me of the importance of community. You don't have to be famous. You don't have to know a bunch of people. Your life matters. Your life has significance. And we live in a day and age with social media where everybody is clamoring for followers and all of this online attention. And can um, we all can easily miss the beauty of local impact in our neighborhoods, in our communities. That's where the beauty is. The fighting and all the other stuff, it's going to be online. And yes, there's beautiful things that can happen online too, but there's so much beauty in your day-to-day life, in your community and what you can add to it. Everybody has something to add and and some value to bring to the world. Mm, that's beautiful, Faye. Thank you for sharing about your, your godmother. And I'm sure, although she wasn't here tangibly to read your book, I'm sure so many of that life, that that life that she poured into you came through in your book. You start each chapter with a lot of put with poems and some of them you end chapters with letters to, to black women, to black girls, and just as an encouragement and a love letter to each of them. So I'm sure that love she poured into you came through with that book. Faith, it looks like we have to wrap up. I do want to talk about where you can be found. I also, I see your book in the background and you have another book that I want people to be aware of. I actually, I do have it. I don't know if it's up here. It's an anti-racism journal. So you have two books. That one, when did that one release, Faith? That one released, I believe in July of 2022. Okay. So there's two books that you can find of Faith's. Faith has a podcast, all sorts of things, but tell us specifically where you can be found when people want to connect with you. And of course, we'll put it all in the show notes. So you can um, connect with me on my website, faithbrooks.com and on all of the major social media platforms at Faith B. And um, it's F-A-I-T-T-H. Yes, there's an extra T. That's a story for another day. It's not profound, just so you know. Um, And... Yeah, any any social media platform, that's where you can find me. That's my website. My books are both available wherever books are sold. Okay, thank you so much, Faith. You are just a beautiful human inside and out. And I'm just so grateful that I had this hour to connect with you and read your book and your words. I know you're just going to inspire so many other Black women and girls, but your book is not. I do want to re- reiterate, I mean, do you feel like your book is only for Black women? I don't, I don't feel that. Like that was your no. primary audience, but I feel like... If you are a woman living in this world, you're going to be able to face words words will resonate with you. Absolutely. Yeah. I think anybody should read it for sure. That's right. Okay. Thank you so much, Faith. Thank you.